podcast world holy shit mma has been on fire right now the ufc in particular has been going off we've had such an amazing start to fights this year and this week and a half fight island has been no fucking exception i'm so excited to bring up these amazing fights we've seen this these last week week and a half you know we obviously have the uh, return of conor mcgregor at uh, ufc 257 here uh actually tomorrow saturday and but i have to bring up one thing here soon holy shit max holloway max holloway put on the greatest featherweight performance i have ever seen i mean i love jose aldo he's been he's a legend i mean i watched him in wc when he annihilated you know uh uriah favor uh, he beat matt brown he beat everybody but no one has been fighting at the level that Max Holloway is besides Alexander Volkanovsky. And we're going to get into all of that. Let's go ahead and do a, a Holloway cater wrap-up. Even though on the last podcast I kept calling him Qatar, I guess I was just messing around. But you know what? I was ruining that dude's name. So I'm going to have to you know, say I'm sorry because, holy shit, that dude is tough, tougher than fucking nails. Max Holloway put on an absolute fucking striking clinic on Calvin Cater. Uh, Max Holloway, he now sits at 22 and 6. Uh, and, you know, this, this is a featherweight bout, so it's at 145. Uh, Calvin Cater is now 22 and 5. So before they fought, they were Max Holloway was 22 and 5, and Calvin Cater was 22 and 4. Dude, how tough is Calvin Cater? That dude literally, he, he got hit so many fucking times. So I don't, I don't understand how he didn't get finished or how he didn't get knocked down in that fight. That dude has an iron will, iron chin, iron body. That dude has an iron heart to stand in there and take the amount of strikes that was landed. Uh, and then the next thing that comes up to my mind is, you know, he was getting dominated. Yeah, he was still in that fight the entire time. Um, I mean, I mean, Max Holloway set records hitting him so many fucking times. Set records. And these are records that he broke that he already held. He broke his own records on Calvin Cater. I mean, as a corner, if your guy's getting beat up that bad, I mean, do, do you throw in the towel? But then again, you got to realize that this fight is, is a, it's number one contender fight. It's not a championship fight, but it's number one contender fight. I mean, I think he took a little too much unnecessary damage, and that maybe could also be on the ref. Maybe not just your corner. I don't know. I wonder what you guys think. Do you guys think that if you're if you're a fighter, you're the coach, you're the cornerman, and your dude's out there getting hit that many times, if if you're gonna if you're gonna stop the fight, are you gonna are you gonna throw in that towel for your fighter, even though he wants to go out on a shield? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna get into how many times he got hit because I have every record that Max Holloway set right here in front of me. But after this fight, Max Holloway has to be the next next in line for the title shot. It's either going to be against Volkanovski again for the third time or Brian Ortega. He already beat Brian Ortega. And actually, the strike, the, the records that Max Holloway broke, 
he set against Brian Ortega. I mean, actually, one of the records I have here was, uh, yeah, second striking differential at at plus 180 versus Brian Ortega. Holy shit. So the the type of performance he put, he put on Calvin Cater, it, it's, it's super fucking human. I, I'm pissed off. I watched the Joe Rogan podcast, the most recent one with... Uh, with the Undertaker, and he said it before I, I could on mine that it literally is the greatest performance in the featherweight history, if not the best performance I've ever seen inside of the octagon or in any fight. And I've never seen someone absorb so many strikes and keep fucking in there. Stay in. He stood in. He stayed in the fight five rounds. He got peppered, battered, and he still threw shots back. He was constantly defending himself, but like I said, he he absorbed so many strikes. How how fucking crazy would it be? So so I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this towards the end of this podcast about Habib. Habib stated uh, this weekend, depending on the fights between Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, Dan Hooker, and Michael Chandler, if something if something significant happens, something that that, that impresses him, he'll come back. Hey, Habib was slated to fight Max Holloway. What if they gave Max Holloway the nod for the 155 pound? belt and took all these four fighters that these two the two fights for this weekend put that again on the side for hey the number one contender and let max holloway fight for that 155 pound belt if volkanowski wins if he beats ortega we he's already he lost to, to volkanowski twice i mean yes he is the next in line for the title shot but there could be an argument said that maybe volkanowski needs to defend against somebody else before max holloway gets a shot i disagree with that thought process but I mean, I'm just looking at what Valkanowski's corners it, it would be saying. But, okay, let's get into this, the kind of records that Max Holloway set. So his first and total strikes landed with 2,805 strikes landed. His first and significant strikes landed, which is 2,618. Those are just total strikes landed. Now, let's, let's look at this here for single fight records. First in striking differential at... Plus 312 on Calvin Cater. The next record. First in significant strikes landed 445 times. Calvin Cater got hit 445 times with significant strikes. Okay, now we see significant strikes attempted. First in significant strikes attempted, 744. So out of those 744 strikes, punches, kicks, Back kicks, whatever. 445 of those landed. First in distance strikes landed, 439. First in significant head strikes landed, 274. By the way, this is all on Calvin Cater. This is how many times he got hit. It's unreal. First in significant body strikes landed. He landed 117 body strikes. How did this dude not fold, fold over? First in total strikes landed with 477 strikes. Total strikes. And most of those were significant strikes. And then we have first in total strikes attempted, 746. And then second striking differential is plus 180. He owns number one and number two in the amount of strikes he's hit hit somebody. Holy shit. Now, let let me bring something else up. Uh, in, in the middle of the fight, round five, I mean, Max Holloway is still putting it on, on Calvin Cater. 
The dude didn't slow down for one fucking round. The dude's got, he's got the best gas tank in the UFC. I don't know how he does it. He looked, Max, Max Holloway looked at the commentators, yelled, I'm the best boxer in the UFC, looked, no-looked Calvin Cater and struck him in the face. He wasn't even looking at him, and he stuck him with a right hand. I knew from the last podcast, I believe that Max Holloway was going to touch up Calvin Cater. I did. I, when I watched the two of them, I mean, Max Holloway, he's just faster. He's faster. Extremely fast. But I did not expect him to put on this type of a clinic at the sure rate of numbers that he hit Calvin Cater with. He literally, it was literally like watching him fight Brian Ortega all over again. But he, he took it a step, a step higher. Regardless of, you know, we have Volkanovski as the champ, which in the last fight, I mean, I believed it went to Max Holloway. I think I've said this before. If I haven't, I'm saying it now. But he's, he's the best 145er there is today and probably all fucking time. No hate towards uh, towards you know Volkanovski, but dude, you can't you can't these these numbers don't lie. And and another thing is, Max didn't spar at all for this fight. He's he's going around now telling everybody to just stop sparring, stop taking the damage and training before these fights. And man, you know what? He's onto something. I don't know if maybe he he instead of sparring, it's just straight cardio. I don't know what the hell he's doing. Whatever it is, it's working. And. If Max is going to fight for a title at 145, and he deserves it at 155 too. Dude is on fire. After the fight was over, he called out uh, Poirier and McGregor. If one of them didn't make weight, Danny, you got my number. And, of course, he did the hilarious stuff about calling out uh, DC. But, you know, he's proven that he's the number one guy at 145, maybe the best guy ever at 145, and a legitimate threat to to the lightweight division at 155 as well. I think it would be a, a crazy move for him to, to go to 155. I don't think it would be a crazy move, actually. I think it would be crazy to watch him go to 155 and get thrown in with one of these top three guys. Hell, even fight Habib. I would love that fight. I would eat that fight up. That fight would be so dope. So uh, let's go ahead and let's keep let's keep going with the uh, the wrap-up for the uh, the Calvin Cater and Max Holloway fight. Uh, let's go back with uh, Soriano versus Dusko. I brought that one up. That was a middleweight fight at 185. Soriano made quick work of Desco in the first round. He finished him. Surprised the shit out of me. Soriano was the betting underdog in that fight. So uh, if anyone put money on Soriano, you cashed out. It was super heavy shots from Soriano that surprised Desco. Uh, you know, he, he just, he, I was really surprised that Desco found his way back to his feet after those multiple knockdowns. I saw the finish coming. I, I mean, it was, it was going to happen, but it was just super impressive. You know, he, Soriano stayed composed, and every time he knocked Dusko down, he t- he touched him again, and he he put him out. But the the big KO of that uh, that card was Joaquin Buckley versus Alessio Di Chirico. That was another uh, middleweight fight that was uh, slated on the uh, the card with uh, Calvin Cater and Max Holloway, and holy shit, did. Chirico head kick Buckley from absolute hell. He knocked him clean out, which is it was just such so unexpected because we all expected uh, Buckley to maybe put out another another highlight real finish. I mean, we already know the two touch kick that he he pulled, you know, KO of the year twenty twenty. Brought that up in my last podcast. I mean, Chirico he was completely unfazed going into this fight, you know, facing a dude with two highlight real KOs. So I mean. 
he he just he went in there and he just fought his fight. So Tariko, I want to kind of explain the way that he set this kick up. It was it was brilliant. Tariko stands orthodox. That means he's a right he's a right handed fighter. I mean, yeah, hell, he might be. You know, of course, most fighters train both sides, but in this fight, he stood orthodox, which means his left leg was forward and his right leg was standard behind, staggered behind him. Throughout the first round, he continuously threw small feints or fake strikes. You know, they, like it'd be like head head movements, like he's going to go ahead and, and throw a jab, or you know, basically to get a reaction. And then he'd bring that right leg, the power leg, up for a kick or a, or a low teep to try to just get that reaction from Buckley. And I think Chirico noticed early, in early on, the way that uh, Buckley his his overt movements. They were low and dipping to the left. So he'd have his hands up, and after he'd get hit or he'd throw a feint, he would dip to the left to try to generate power for a counter shot. And I think this is where Chirico noticed when he threw his right leg in that right leg roundhouse, Buckley was dipping in the, the direction of it. I noticed that. So he would he'd absorb that kick, get ready for that, get ready for that uh that heavy highlight real KO. And then Chirico just timed it, man. He 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 gave he gave him that uh, you know a uh, a nice feint, and he went high, and he kicked the ever living shit out of Buckley, and it shut him off. It it was just a beautiful setup, and it paid dividends. And it's crazy that now the the guy that had the highlight real knockout, you know, just just the end of of the year, you know, twenty twenty is now on the uh, the opposite end of that. Now he is the one who was knocked out in a, in a highlight fashion. So let's uh, let's move let's move forward to uh, a Santiago versus Lee. And and by the way, this fight it, it ended up being a I'm, I'm, oh actually yeah, Chirico got a uh, a bonus for that knockout. So congrats to him, fifty grand in his pocket. Man, I could only imagine what I do with fifty grand. But the next fight it was a uh, it was a welterweight bout between Santiago and Lee. Uh, we we I discussed this one. I thought it was going to be fight of the night. I thought they were both going to end up with. Uh, with fifty thousand dollars in her pocket, but holy shit, was I wrong! I didn't know that Santiago actually had a really long layoff. Uh, he had some health issues. I mean, you know, it's you can't follow all these fighters. There's so many. There's been so many fights too. It's been it's been amazing. I love it when the UFC does this, but it's also hard to keep up with everybody. So yeah, we had that long layoff, and and Lee was looking crisp. That dude is accurate and fast. And if you throw a punch. If you miss, you're going to pay. And that's exactly what happened in this fight. Every time Santiago, you know, he exploded and then let, let some strikes off. If he if you missed, he got tagged on, on a, uh, a counter exchange from Lee. That's exactly how he got knocked out. Lee's hands were fast. Santiago missed an exchange. Lee's left hand slipped right over Santiago's right and landed a powerful short hook and just completely shut Santiago's lights off in the first fucking round. Uh, I mean, hell, you have a layoff, you know, there, there's there's ring rust, and then taking a dangerous fighter like Lee as your comeback fight, shit, man, you, you know, that was, a, that was a hell of a risk, it didn't pay off, but uh, hey, this is the UFC, man, everyone that you fight here is, is an absolute savage, everyone, everyone's a savage, I don't care who you are, if you're in the UFC, you're a fucking savage, you are literally the 1% of the world, so... I mean, hell, it didn't work out for Santiago for uh, for that fight. And this next fight, I talked about it in the last podcast. It was Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown. 
I'm getting goosebumps. The fight was amazing. We had three rounds of beautiful mixed martial arts. It was such a fucking entertaining fight. I just want to highlight that Carlos Condit's only 36. He's getting up there in the twilight years. I mean, he's still got some time. He still has some fights. I believe this is the last fight on his contract as well against Matt Brown, who's uh, 40 years of age. Matt Brown at 40, he still looked great. I mean, you, you got to realize that dude is, he's got the biggest heart in the UFC aside from Calvin Cater because the way that he stayed in that fight. But anyways, I want to just highlight this fight because this was this fight should have happened back in 2013 and it looked like it was 2013. It was great. They both displayed great technique from from, the, from both these absolute veterans. Um, Carlos Condit put together great combinations. He has that, you know, that one-two high kick that we've always seen from him. Uh, he was actually able to take uh, both fights. Both fighters actually were able to land on the feet and take each other down. Both fighters mixed mixed up their their MMA well. Uh, excuse me, guys. I just had some awesome barbecue. So if you hear me burping, hey man, that sucks. My bad. So, anyways, Matt Brown, his elbows are fucking scary. That dude can literally drop an elbow and put you to sleep or cut you up. And his elbows are still scary at 40 years old. When I saw him elbow Carlos Condit, I was like, oh, I do not want to be on the other end of that. So, but I, I have to, I there is this one technique in this fight that I, I need you guys to realize is some high-level shit. Carlos Condit hit a, a leg sweep. It was almost like a um, modified uh, Connie Bassani. I'll explain how, how he hit this. It, it, when he hit it, I literally stood up out of my chair. And and I, I was... I was grabbing my hair and you know it was awesome so basically what carlos condit did so he carlos condit's already very uh dangerous with his kicks uh you know and he was throwing a, a couple outside leg kicks and uh so which he was using that with his left leg because carlos condit is actually um was actually fighting southpaw so it means it was like the exact opposite of what i brought up earlier he, that means that his right leg is forward and his and his his power leg which is his left left foot is staggered behind so he used the fact that he was throwing that outside leg kick as misdirection and instead of when he threw the kick he slid the leg behind matt brown's body both behind both of his legs and when he slid that leg back behind both of the legs he shot his left arm across the body of matt brown palm down against his body and then drove him backwards into the mat sweeping him up off of his feet tripping him and it was fucking slick it was some beautiful shit. Uh, it's almost very uh, similar to some of the uh, some of the Muay Thai sweeps that you see in some of these Muay Thai uh, fights. If you guys get a chance, watch the highlight reel of this fight. It was literally what MMA is all about. Uh, it was very competitive, and uh, in this fight, Carlos Condit was able to secure a, a vision, a, vi a vision, a victory by decision. Uh, man, uh, this fight really impressed me. I I think it would be wise of a fighter to call out Carlos Condit at, at welterweight. I, I think he's still game and he's 36 looks great. I think you could, if, if a, of a younger up and, up and coming fighter called him out and he was willing to take the fight, you get a win over him. I mean, that's a pretty big name that you could have on, on your record. That would be, that'd be great for if yourself trying to, you know, maybe get into the rankings. So, um, like I said earlier, man, there's so many fights. They're hard to, they're hard to keep, keep up with. So on Wednesday, there was actually fights during the day. I just want to want to highlight uh, two of those fights. One's not really much of a highlight. It's more of a shout-out. 
Uh, Isaac Villanueva, man. H-Town's own second-round KO of Vincius Morea. It was a sick KO. I hope he got a uh, a bonus out of that. But I did want to bring up the, the just the main fight on that card. Uh, I wasn't really able to uh, pay too much attention, mainly because, I mean, I, I got a 9-to-5 job. I got to work. So I really didn't get to see much. But it was between uh, Magni and Chiesa. It was at 170, which is welterweight. Uh, Neil Magny and uh, and good old uh, Chiesa. So it was a five round competitive fight. I mean, it looked competitive, but it was mainly a grappling display by by Chiesa. I mean, I mean the the levels were different. You could tell that, Ma- that Michael Chiesa was just on another level with with his jujitsu. Uh, I mean, he was able to clearly transition from one position to the next with ease. What I and what I mean by that when I was watching it. It kind of looked like the old uh, old jujitsu drill, you know, around the world. Basically, you just you just pass the person's guard or side control to north south to mount to side control. It just seemed like he was just moving so smoothly with his transitions. Uh, Magni did have some success grappling with Chiesa. He did he did get into an inverted triangle choke, which he was hanging off the back, which was easily defended by Michael Chiesa. But um, if you get a chance. Uh, do it right now. Pause this damn podcast and and uh, and YouTube the backpack of doom, and that is exactly what that looked like. Except you know Neil Magny wasn't able to finish the uh, the, uh, the the submission. Uh, there was a couple fifty fifty scrambles uh, looking for submissions, but once again Chiesa was just a sharper sharper grappler. This fight was basically on the ground the entire time. Uh, I mean, just so happened that you know. This fight was just all, it was just Chase's fight. He, Neil Magny was in Chase's world, and uh, Chase took an easy uh, five round unanimous decision victory. So, and, and that's that's all I really want to highlight from uh, the UFC fight night on Wednesday. Because, like I said, I mean, I just I just didn't get around to watching every single fight. So, and then that brings me up to what uh, what most of you, even the casuals, not even the casuals, even just. People who are, are just interested in a couple fights, which is usually the uh, the big name Conor McGregor, UFC 257, and I want to highlight some fights that uh, that um, that I like, and uh, also bring up some drama that's been going on with uh, if you've been following like the UFC Embeddeds or the any of the MMA uh, reporting websites. But uh, so we have the return of a a female fighter of mine that's she's my favorite, one of my favorites in the strawweight division. I wouldn't say favorite. But she's one of my favorites, which is Amanda Rivas, and she's fighting uh, Marina Rodriguez. So once again, like I said, it's a 115-pound uh, female bout. And, uh, I mean, Amanda Rivas' uh, grappling is phenomenal. She's a judoka, and she's very dangerous on the ground. But, man, I, I had to go back and look up some highlights of Marina Rodriguez, and holy shit, is she a crisp and good, dangerous striker, especially in the clinch. I mean, of course, we all saw the uh, the, the grappling clinic that Rebus put on uh, Paige Van Zandt, which uh, was a quick first-round armbar, which Paige did actually leave the UFC after that fight. I think now she's doing bare-knuckle boxing, and as well as Bellator. I don't think she's uh, debuted for either just yet. But uh, I think this is going to be your, your classic striker versus grappler fight. Your striker is, is going to be Marina Rodriguez. Your grappler is going to be Amanda Rivas. Uh, I I I really I like this fight. I mean, it's a pretty cool, uh, you know, 
these both these girls they they need to go out there and uh put on a show show what they can do um you know i had a uh a, a coach of mine i asked him once i said hey what's what's the best martial art and he and he he told me whoever can execute the first technique which in this fight i think that's that that quote holds true i mean if if amanda ribas can can i should say her name correctly because she's she's brazilian but um i think if she she takes her down it's going to be in, in in amanda's world if um marina stays on on the feet uh i think it's going to be a a rough night for amanda and i mean I, there was a uh mma junkie interview with uh ribas well rodriguez said in a mma junkie interview about Rebus was the fact that uh, striking with her would be a risk, and I absolutely agree with that statement. She's a powerful, powerful striker. And uh, now let's get into some of the drama with uh, UFC 257 right now. So there was a fight that was slotted again. It was a uh, lightweight fight: uh, Matt Fri- Frivola versus Otman Azaitar. And uh, as of today, Otman Azaitar is off of the card. And as well as cut from the UFC. This dude is a talented fighter. But Jesus Christ, he has to be regretting the decisions he made here at UFC 257. So basically what I got from a a quick interview I saw from Dana White was uh, he had him and his team cut off their wristbands. Gave it to his friends and tried to bypass their uh, coronavirus protocol. And I guess some dude snuck into uh, the hotel, you know, shimmied past like four rooms and, and with a bag and then left the bag in his room. I, that's just what I'm hearing. And now that this has occurred and that basically Ahmed Izaitar and his and his uh, his team and friends decided to act act a fool, cost him his UFC career. So that's what I'm saying. That this dude's definitely not the brightest, but great prospect. But now that's all he'll ever be. After uh, I think he's got two impressive victories in the UFC, but I guess we won't see any more of uh, Otman Izaitar in the UFC at this point. But now uh, with Matt, he he now has a short notice uh, step in because another fighter didn't make the uh, the scale today. So Ar- Arman. Uh, Tzerkian I can't really say his name He's another Russian badass He's 15-2 and two, And he'll be taking the place of uh, Izaitar Armand is You know, I had to do a quick a quick YouTube with this guy I mean, like so many up-and-coming fighters Especially out of, out of Russia or, or just that region uh, Dude, he's young And full of piss and vinegar Super, well, super well-rounded Great striking He's got some really crisp spinning attacks I noticed some spinning back fists, some spinning back kicks. And uh, also, he's got some well-timed takedowns. And we already know from that, that area, of course, like Habib, those guys have some amazing wrestling. Great Sambo-style takedowns. And they just they just translate so super well into MMA. Man, I, you know what? Another, I'm, I'm, I'll get into it later. I was going to get into some, like, I would love to see Michael Chandler and Habib just have a, a wrestling match. Anyways, I'm not even, whatever. I'll leave that alone. So uh, I still think this is going to be a super tough fight for uh, Frevola. Uh, he's mainly a striker. He likes to stand in front of you, and and he's heavy-handed. But you know, once again, I'm not well versed with this guy either. He did have a a barn burner 
just fight of the night with uh, Lando Vanata. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens here. I mean, he, I mean, when he was going to fight uh, uh, Otman, the dude, the dude was an assassin. I mean, if he connects, you go to sleep. I don't know if if Armand is, is is just as dangerous. It seems like he is, but I think he might be. A, it might be a better matchup for the fans. Uh, I know this fight's also not going to be at 155 anymore. It's going to be at 157. And I don't know if it's going to stay on the main card because I just checked the uh, main card and they added another uh, middleweight fight. I don't know either of those fighters. I'm sure they're very super talented to make their way onto a Conor McGregor card. So sorry for that, uh, the drop of the ball on that. But I mean, you know, the MMA, man, there's game time decisions. Literally the day before the, the card's going live, they're already having to, to sh- shuffle things around. Uh, and then I want to get on to another female fight for uh, UFC 257, which I'm actually very excited for. We got uh, Joanne Jojo Calderwood. She's ranked uh, number seven in the flyweight division. And we have uh, Jessica Evil Eye, and she's ranked number six. Both of these girls are seasoned and have fought the who's who at the flyweight division. Hell, Calderwood's fought two f- former champions of Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade. Uh, Jessica I has suffered a knockout loss to my to my uh, to my favorite uh, female fighter currently and she's currently the champ at the 125 pound division uh, it was a very highlight reel-esque knockout uh, Valentina Shevchenko head kicked uh, Jessica I from goddamn grandma's house that foot came from uh, the chicks I was talking Valentina Shevchenko that chick's just on another level but yeah, no, this fight's gonna be great. I mean, both uh, Calderwood and and Jessica they're they're gonna they're gonna go in there and they're gonna they're gonna strike their asses off. These girls have come to fight. Both these girls are their top ten. They're coming off losses. It's gonna be competitive because they don't want to get cut. Because remember what I spoke of, I think in episode two that there was you know, or maybe it was actually the first episode that they the UFC cut sixty fighters, um, and I, I think. Both of these fighters have similar skill sets, both standing and on the ground. So I really see this fight being being awesome. It's be a barn burner. This fight will also more than likely go the distance, in my opinion. But, man, this is MMA. Anything can happen. I think uh, Jessica I runs away with the striking department just because of the, the advantage and, and, and the power. And JoJo has awesome clinch work off the cage. Which pressure that could nullify the power of Jessica Evilai. So once again, like I said, this is gonna be a pretty exciting flyweight matchup. So y'all stay tuned for that fight. Joan Calderwood and Jessica Evilai. And now I want to get into uh this is like the bread and butter of UFC two fifty seven. Both of these fights could be headliners. Well, not really, because once Conor McGregor's name's on there, he's the headliner. But if there's a different, this could be a headliner on a different card, which is Dan Hooker versus Michael Chandler uh, at at once once again the lightweight division. Both these fights are actually at the lightweight division, the co-main event and main event. So Dan Hooker is uh, currently ranked number six, and he his record is 20, 20 wins and nine losses. Michael Chandler is technically unranked in the UFC. He's coming over from Bellator. He's a, a multi Bellator uh, time champion. His record's uh, 21 and 5. 
you guys may have seen the fight between him and Eddie Alvarez and, and possibly the fight between him and uh, Benson Henderson when he knocked Benson Henderson out, Benson Henderson out in the first round. Another uh, formal UFC, former UFC champion. Sorry, I'm just getting really excited talking about this because this is a possible number one contender fight depending on Habib's decision if these guys do something spectacular. Okay, one second. Let me just take a sip of this coffee because I'm... I'm just firing on all fucking cylinders right now. Let's go. What a matchup that we have here, though. So, like I said, Michael Chandler's technically unranked. So he he's he has no number by his name, but he's fighting a number six ranked fighter. This is a risk from Dan Hooker. It's a huge risk from Dan Hooker. He's putting his ranking on the line. Michael Chandler's a beast. He's he's had, like I said, those iconic fights. It's Eddie Alvarez, that knockout over Benson Henderson. Dan Hooker just fought Dustin Poirier in a 2020 fight of the year contention, of which he did lose, but he looked sharp. And he showed he has a gas tank that he can go for five rounds, be competitive, and he's tougher than nails. What, what I love about this fight is both of these guys, it's impossible to have a boring fight. They always look for the finish, and they don't like decisions. I mean, yeah, D Dan Hooker went to a decision, a five-round decision with Dustin Poirier, but, I mean, you get in front of Dustin Poirier and try to finish him. I mean, Conor McGregor did at 145, but not, not at 155. We'll, we'll get into that, too. I'm getting ahead of myself. So I, I brought up some keys to victory here for, for both fighters. I'm going to start with uh, Dan Hooker. I believe uh, Dan Hooker, if he uses his range and keeps Chandler on the outside and just tags Chandler up, he's so dangerous with his knees. Those that They come right up the middle. Hooker is he's 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 a longer fighter. He should use that that range. Keep him keep him like I said, outside. Throw those kicks, throw those long lanky knees, and uh, it should you know cause hesitation in Michael Chandler to take that shot because he might get clipped with a knee and look like the Ma Masvidal v Ben Askren, and uh, have another iconic knockout. You're gonna have to watch every day of your life. Um, and and as long as as Hooker's active with his strikes. I think he's got a good chance of taking this fight. Uh, Hooker's got good takedown defense, and he's going to have to force uh, Michael Chandler's shot to be telegraphed at a distance. And that's only by the use of the range, like I said, by his you know his kicks and his long punches. So what I believe Chandler's keys to victory to beat Dan Hooker is speed, power, and catch wrestling. The will to win, it belongs to both fighters in this fight. We, we know both these guys have gone through wars. They've both been bloody, beaten up, and they just keep going. But Michael Chandler is going to have to be aggressive to get inside and threaten that takedown and keep Hooker fighting off his back foot. Take away his kicks, his knees, and his range and get close in there. And if he gets close and he starts landing those heavy like overhand right that he has, you know, and he, he'll have a he'll get closer and closer to finishing the fight as it goes on. We already know that Michael Chandler's he has some dangerous, strong chokes. He gets on your back, he takes your neck, and he will literally pop your head off at the fucking neck. So those are the things that I think um, are what each fighter is going to have to do to win, to beat each other. It's basically what, what why the, the stylistically of how these guys fight, how it matches up. And uh, which now brings me uh, into the main event which is another fight which I, I brought up. Out of these guys, these four guys, how they perform here 
depends on if Khabib's going to come back and give him a crack at the title. So it's going to be Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor for the more than likely the number one contention spot on the uh, as as a lightweight. Dustin Poirier is ranked number two. Conor McGregor is ranked number four. Dustin Poirier's record is twenty six and six. Conor McGregor's record is twenty two and four. And this is an all time record because. Both these guys have fought at different weight classes besides the 155-pound weight class. Of course, Conor McGregor was the two-time champ. He was the champ at 145 and the champ at 155. Dustin Poirier has been the interim champ at 155 and spent a majority of his career at 145 until Conor McGregor knocked him out uh, back in, what, 2013? I think that fight happened. Uh, so, obviously, we brought up Dustin. Dustin's last fight was with Dan, who's fighting Chandler, fight of the year contender. Dustin looked great. He, his boxing looked crisp. He was tough. He was durable. Uh, Connor's last fight was, of course, the beautiful destruction of Cowboy Cerrone with those, those uh, I guess, shoulder strikes from the, from the top that broke uh, Donald's nose. Um, and, then, you know, I'll, I'll just bring it up again. We, you got to realize that Connor McGregor did knock out Dustin Poirier. I mean, that's going to bring that's going to bring some nerves in this fight. I mean, I know Dustin's been there day in and day out, but that's going to bring some some nervousness out of you. You know this guy has beat you. I know Dustin has a chip on his shoulder about it, but at the same time, you know, there's so much mental warfare that goes into this fight. There has been a lot of uh a lot of um shared uh what's the what's the word? But basically there there's been a lot of, you know, attaboys between the two of them when the at press conferences, a lot of uh comp- compliments. You know, Conor McGregor brought up the fact that Dustin Poirier after his, his after he beat him, he he rose up and became a champion. Um, so we'll, we'll see what's going to happen here. I, I'm really interested in this fight. It's I, I, it makes me it gives me a little bit like I keep like tapping my my heel on the ground like I'm nervous. Uh, Dustin at 155, he, he's just more durable and battle tested. Uh, if if Dustin can push Conor McGregor like Nate Diaz did in his fights, I think he could have a good shot at dragging Conor McGregor into a war. And I think when Dustin Poirier is in a war, he comes out on top. He's got, I mean, that's why they call him the diamond. That dude, when it, when he's under pressure, he, he he shines. He's already weathered power from, from, from Dan Hooker. He's already weathered power from, from Justin Gaethje at 155 in those type of wars. But, you know, also being durable doesn't mean Connor can't put you out. That left hand is no joke. I hate giving Connor McGregor compliments. I've never I'm I'm a Conor McGregor hater, but but damn, he's his striking it's it's so crisp, it's so good, it's so precise, it's so fast, it's so powerful. Dustin's gonna have to show up to this fight and not get hit early. And Dustin has to show up mentally and not get caught up in the moment, which is way easier said than done. I mean, literally the entire world's watching this fight. No pressure. And Dustin is a, a very emotional fighter. Regardless of his experience, we've seen him get better with time. I mean, he is a very seasoned fighter. But when he fought Habib, I mean, it didn't seem like we saw the same Dustin that we usually see. I don't know if it was just the hype around the fight. But then again, you're fighting Habib Nurmagomedov, which I just butchered his name, but I don't care. And then, then Habib did the same thing to Justin. And both those fighters fought each other, had a war, and looked great. But Habib was another fucking animal. And that brings me up to 
the next animal and I, I love I love this term because Jesus Christ, all of you internet trolls out there and everyone that is that is a keyboard warrior has to say this if they are a McGregor fan. The motivated Conor McGregor. Motivated McGregor. <sighs> okay, so let's 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 just get this out of the way. If Conor shows up the way he showed up against Donald Cerrone, it is not gonna be an easy night for Dustin. The mental warfare is still on point for Connor. He has this down to a science. I watch, I watch all of the UFC embededs. I always do it. I love watching them. I eat that shit up. But on the UFC embedded, they did exchange words when they were doing their, I guess, ceremonial face-off. It wasn't the weigh-ins. It was just the ceremonial face-off. Dustin said, it's on. McGregor looked at him stoically, took his glasses off, and said, you know what it is. We both know. In that exchange of just those words, I, I noticed there was some nervousness inside of Dustin. But I mean, that's I mean, shit. You're literally doing the the face off, doing all the this, the media stuff, you know, in front of a guy that knocked you out in the past. But you know, I will say this: I watched the uh, the ceremonial weigh-ins when uh, Dustin exchanged uh, his uh, hot sauce with Connor. You know, they, they shook hands. They faced off. It looked great. They both looked ready to go. Dustin looked great. There was no nervousness in Dustin's face. He looks ready for fucking war. And hopefully Connor's ready for a war like that. If Connor shows up with that creative striking and time and timing he's well known for, Dustin could be in for a quick night. I, I hope we get more than just a round or two out of these guys. I hope the war does occur. I think if war occurs... Connor's cardio will be tested because we know he fades in later rounds when he is pushed. When when they put pressure on Connor inside that fight, you put him up against that cage, Connor starts to break. He has been broken by Nate Diaz and Habib, who both put pressure on him. Nate put volume punches on him. If we actually see a war, I really want to see Connor McGregor's will to win and see how big his heart really is. Because, I mean, it, it, Habib was able to break him. Nate Diaz was able to break him. So we'll we'll see what's up. We'll see how this goes. And after this fight is over, and whoever wins between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor and Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler, we're gonna see if these guys have what it takes to bring Habib out of retirement to fight. I don't think Habib's gonna do it. But what are these four fighters going to have to do to bring Habib out of retirement? I don't know. Is it going to be a spectacular knockout from from Dustin Poirier to knock McGregor out, who have, who's never been knocked out? I mean, he's been he's been tapped. I mean, he got beat by Joe Duffy in his early career. He got beat by Nate Diaz at 170. He got he got tapped again by Habib. I mean, what if what if Dustin Poirier knocks out Conor McGregor? But then again. Habib's already beat Dustin. He's already beat Connor, but he hasn't beat Dan and he hasn't beat uh, Michael Chandler because they've never fought and he hasn't fought Max fucking Holloway. I'm going to add him in there because you know what? He deserves it. Listen to me, podcast world. Max Holloway deserves a shot at Habib. I, if Habib doesn't find that performance spectacular, get the fuck out of here. None of you four will fight Connor, I mean Connor McGregor, Habib. You guys won't. But Jesus Christ. If they do something and they bring Habib out, how big would that fight be? I mean, if if I still think Habib beats all four of them, but you know what? 
I would like to see Habib fight Michael Chandler. I think that would be a really interesting fight. I mean, a, a wrestler at the caliber of with Michael Chandler, but we said the same thing about Justin Gaethje. The wrestling of Justin Justin Gaethje was was spectacular. Look what Habib did. He walked him down. But who, who knows? I I think I think if I think if Michael Chandler takes out Dan Hooker spectacularly, I think it, it could be enough. Maybe it could be enough. I mean, I, I don't know. But he is only a rank number a number six ranked fighter, and Habib's a very he goes by the numbers. He's like, okay, yeah, rank number six. You got to be number one. You got to be number one to fight me. Uh, Dustin Poirier, he's already beat. But I mean, it, what if what if Dustin Poirier just goes out there and just puts an absolute show on, and, and Connor can't even touch him? I mean, maybe that that could bring Habib out. I I don't know what could bring Habib out. I think if if Max Holloway called out Habib for the for the one fifty five pound belt, I think that would have been. A good call out, in my opinion. If you think I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. I don't care. I really do think Max Holloway versus Habib would be an amazing fight. I wish that fight happened to begin with. I don't know if you guys know this, but that fight was going to happen, but the uh, doctors in New York uh, shut it down because they thought uh, Max Holloway was cutting too much weight. I mean, Max Holloway is a big 145er. Yes, he did get beat by Dustin in their in their bout whenever uh, Max tried to be champ champ. But that dude, on any given night, can beat anyone in the 145 or 155-pound division. I mean, then again, the takedown onslaught that Habib possesses, maybe that could nullify Max, but I I don't know. But personally, I think it's going to have to be some sort of a a knockout or a a full-on all-out just battle of, of attrition, war that's going to bring, that could bring Habib out. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's just doing this to to keep everything relevant, keep his name relevant. I don't know. Because I remember seeing there was a poster for a second that the McGregor-Dustin Poirier fight was going to be for, for the belt. But another thing is, can, let's say Habib says, now nah, I'm done. I'm done. Here's the belt. Relinquish it. Let's say uh, they say, okay, between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, now they have the belt, the winner of that fight. Can you give that belt to one of them when Dustin doesn't make championship weight? He, he made So championship weight, what that means is for people that don't know, when you weigh in, if you're fighting at, let's say, 155, because that's what we're talking about, you have to weigh 155. That doesn't go for a non-championship bout. So if it's just about at 155, you have a pound allowance. You can weigh 156. So naturally, Dustin Poirier, he weighs 156. He chose to not cut that extra pound, which I think is a good idea, especially because we had that talk about him being at 145 fighting Conor McGregor. That weight cut drained him. Hell, one one extra pound he has uh, up on McGregor is a good idea. But can you crown a champion from those two if... Uh, Dustin doesn't make championship weight. Also, maybe what's going to end up happening here is the winner out of these two are going to fight for the belt. It's just going to be it's going to be number one versus number one. Whoever comes out and gets the belt, Habib's done. He retired. He'd walk away from the sport. Twenty nine and zero, undisputed, undefeated, one fifty five pound champ. You know that's Habib's words, but I, I don't know. 
So, man, the UFC is putting on a fucking show right now, and I think some of you casuals don't even understand what's going on here. It's it's iconic. Fight Island has so far been a roaring success. I I am watching and eating up every bit that I can. I'm so excited for tomorrow. Um, I'm going to try to watch every single fight. I'm trying to get stuff done, too, at the same time. I'm really happy that this fight's going to be actually at normal time. Because uh, all these other fights on Fight Island have been during the day. Because basically our, our 2 o'clock here at, at Central Time is prime time over there in uh, in Abu Dhabi. I am stoked. This this is just I can't even get over it. I want to know what happens. I want to know if these guys can do can do can perform and do what it takes to bring Habib out of retirement. I want to see Habib return. I would like to see him return against Max Holloway. I don't know about y'all. That's what I would like. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this podcast up. I would like to say that this is definitely my most exciting, most excited I've been for fights in a long time and excited to talk about fights in a long time. So uh, I hope you guys made it all the way to the end of this podcast because uh, shit, man, I'm trying to put a lot of work in, into these things, man. I'm having a good time doing it, a good time talking to this microphone, and I just want you guys all to remember that Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself.